So I'm going to be gone for most of the month of July, so I have to get in one more talk about the precepts before I leave. <laughs> and hopefully we'll have uh, even, we've got a lot of people signed up, which is wonderful, but um, it never hurts to have more if people are really seriously, genuinely interested. To um, share something with you today that uh, has come up in other questions too, and I found s something from the Dhammapada that I think is a good response. If you're here during the week, we we have a lot of uh, open discussion groups, and the question has been coming up recently: like, what is the final goal? Like, why do you why do you do this path? Um, and what what is uh, the ultimate goal? So we talk about that, but. Um, in reading something from the Dhammapada, I thought, well, this is this ties in the precepts, but it also it gives it gives what I think is a perfectly reasonable, even ultimate goal, and it says it without having to use a lot of words that we can't explain because we can't, you know, we don't really understand the concept. So this is in this is in a book that I've been reading that Bhante Amita gave me, and it, it's a book for Buddhist chanting, but the explanations for why we do things and uh, what different teachers have said about the the path and the precepts and the, the chanting, and they're all uh, monks who have temples in Los Angeles. So I've met a few of them, but they're really, it's, it's uh, I'm really enjoying that, that part of it. Um, this is from the Dhammapada, it's the verses 188 to 192. I'm going to read it. Truly, many a refuge go they to mountains and groves, to gardens and tree shrines, men terror-stricken. This refuge indeed is not safe. This refuge indeed is not the highest. Not to this refuge having come is one freed from all suffering. But she who has gone for refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, the Sangha, and the Four Noble Truths, by perfect understanding does she see suffering, suffering's origination, and suffering's termination, and the Noble Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of suffering. This indeed is a safe refuge. This is the highest refuge. To this refuge having come, is one freed from all suffering? And I think that's a perfect answer. Um, it we don't even have we don't even have to talk about nibbana or nirvana, um, because whenever we get into that discussion, like the ultimate goal is nibbana, then we can start. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> what is that like? And then that's the same as getting into those. Uh, uh, in some ways, unanswerable questions, at least if we haven't experienced it yet. And I love that this talks about what the, that the real thing we're looking for is uh, liberation from our suffering, from our stress, from our dissatisfaction, and finding true happiness. And we can't find that unless we've eliminated all of, the, all of that uh, dukkha in our lives which is not an easy task, but it's doable. And so the promise of being able to be truly happy is what the, is 
and happy in the way that we don't even think of it most of the time. To be truly uh, free from the, from delusion, and which is ignorance, to be free from uh, craving, which is that pulling things to us, and to be free from um, aversion, which is pushing things away from us, uh, anger, uh, and the you know the things that we are negative about. That we're either pulling things to us or pushing things away from us, or and we and we live with delusional thinking, like things are going to be permanent, and that we have a, that we have a, a self, and that we have uh, uh, this the suffering, that illusion, that the suffering is is uh, something that we we can't we can't get rid of, so. That's that's really what the Buddha talked about all of his teachings and the focus was on those things because those are the things we experience right now all the time and so it's that's what we can work on in this present moment and everything we do finding refuge in the teachings in the community and truth um the things that we find, those are the things we find refuge in. So when we take the precept ceremony, the first thing we do is take refuge. And we then we talk about the precepts. And uh, when I come back, what I'm going to be talking more about is setting up, that setting up uh, the practice of saying the precepts every morning and every evening. Not just as a suggestion, but... As, uh, as an important part of our practice. So even if you don't have time to, or think you don't have any time in your day to meditate, you can, you can easily, I mean, you can do, you can recite the precepts in, you know, less than a minute. The precepts that you're working with, and you can do that in the morning before you even get out of bed, and you can do it at night just as you go to sleep. And I think then, if you take that on as part of a, if we can call it a ritual, but it's also, uh, it's also exactly what we're training in. It can keep us, it can keep us more aware of what, what our practice is about. When we think about our real practice, it's how we live in the world. And those precepts are how we, how we want to be going out and moving in the world. We're living, we're living by those precepts first and foremost because that's how we're, we're interacting with the outside world. You don't really need to worry about living your precepts when you're on the cushion, except if you haven't been living them, it's going to be harder to even sit on a cushion because your mind's going to be so uh, more easily distracted. But the precepts are what we can take with us as we move out into the world. And the way we treat ourselves and the way we treat other people is what changes the world. So if you're frustrated about the conditions of the world and what can you do, you know, most of us are probably, a big part of our day is spent, you know, feeling frustrated. What can we do about people putting children in cages on the border? What can we do about wars? And what can we do about hunger? What can we do about uh, all the problems that we see and the sadness we see? 
the number one thing we can do is do everything we do from the point of view of, uh, the, of the precepts, to be kind, to, to be very careful about our speech, and to have kind speech all the time, which is really hard, or to have uh, cut down on, you know, idle chatter, uh, to never, to, when you, even when you're angry, to not use harsh speech or sarcasm or malicious speech. Uh, those things are very hard, and those are the things that really change your world. Those are the things that help us purify ourselves, but those are the things that other people experience from us. And so for those, for other people that we have contact with to even want to be arrested, or to receive some kind of generosity from us, it's really important that we, we're living those, uh, those precepts. Because otherwise, people may not have enough trust in us to want the generosity that we're offering. And that's generosity of our actions, generosity of our thinking, and generosity of our speech. So we, we can, if we, it, sometimes seems selfish to think about, well, we're purifying ourselves, and why couldn't we be out saving the world instead? But that's how we save the world. That's what we have to realize. And then everything we do can become part of the solution and not part of the problem. Um, Sometimes we have to just be witnesses to terrible things that are going on. And sometimes we have, uh, we, we, we may all have special projects that help us or special groups we volunteer for or time that we, we volunteer for helping people or helping animals. And those are ways we help. And there, it's, it's, uh, just like when we began talking about the precepts, I was saying we have to not put everything on a global level because then we're overwhelmed and the precepts become undoable for us. The precepts are about us, about our, uh, how we're working with ourselves to become this person who is, you know, not suffering. And we found a way to, to let go of suffering. So it's, doing that is not selfish because what it's doing is preparing us to be to be of immense help, like help without any kind of limits to the world. And we should not think that we have to be uh, tackling a project that's going to literally change the life of 10,000 people. It's, that's a big, that's kind of an impossibility. But we can be, you know, just if you went to Sunday school when you were little, you know, it was hiding your light under the bushel. And when you're a little kid, you sing that song and, you know, you can go, let your light shine. Nobody knows that song, do they? (laughs) Sort of familiar? You did not go to church like I went to church. (laughs) That was like the one joyous song that we had as little kids in Sunday school. (laughs) So you're not supposed to hide your, your... your light under a under I assume a bushel basket. I don't know what it really meant in the Bible, but uh, that's that's really a lot of what we're talking about. When we purify ourselves and we develop these qualities that help us help us uh, 
understand the Four Noble Truths and help us understand the Eightfold Path and help us live the Eightfold Path, which leads us, that liberates us. When we're doing all that, while it may seem selfish at first, what we're doing is making ourselves into that bodhisattva. We're creating uh, the qualities of a Buddha. And those are the qualities of all those those things that reach out to everyone, those the ten perfections, and the qualities of generosity and patience and kindness and equanimity. And though the, that's that's we're preparing the kind of people that can live in this crazy world. And that we're preparing our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and ourselves and everyone we encounter, we're we're showing them a little bit of that that light. And so um, I guess it's, I, I think that this Dhammapada, these Dhammapada verses just say that eloquently. We don't need to have an ultimate goal. I mean, it's because we know that we always have to make a, we can't have a goal that we hang on to tightly to, right? Because we're always told we can't, we can't uh, know what's going to happen in the future. But if we work every single day with this body, and um, I wanted I wanted to mention I used some different wording in the meditation and talked about feeling your breath in your body, and and I think that's that's really an important thing to be aware of when we're breathing and meditating. We're we have to remember that the Buddha taught us too that everything we need to know is in this body. So this body already has the has all of the. Uh, all of what we need to become uh, wise and to have discernment and wisdom. and So we can't forget about the body. But when we're meditating and we're breathing and we watch our breath so we find that one of the reasons we're watching our breath is so we can find that we our body's tr- doing it, trying to do it. So when we're quiet, we can watch that. How our breath just naturally kind of, it's not just exactly the same each time. Our breath is always trying to find that perfect balance where it can be calm. And you know, if you get real emotional or upset, you stop breathing or your breathing becomes real ragged. But if the body has the ability to, it's always looking for that, that, that balance. So that's look, that's, it's looking for serenity. It's looking for that peaceful place. So when we watch our breath, we're watching that. But we're also, we don't want to, we don't want to follow our breath down into our body, uh, like you might do in a yoga, uh, if you're doing something in yoga. But when we're meditating, we want to also have that awareness of, of our entire body because that, and that, that, that our breath is filling our entire body. And that oxygen's going everywhere. But we're also remembering that this body is very precious. And this body is where all of our wisdom will come from. And our senses are, you know, our sense organs, our sense doors, and our sense consciousness is the way that we talk about it. Um, that's all our body. And so that's everything that's coming into us is coming into us from some part of our body. 
And so we want to be uh, aware of that. And it doesn't mean that everything that comes in through our sense senses, we just follow that. I mean, that that's we we have to learn how to work with it. So, like the great aromas come in through our sense of smell. That doesn't mean we have to eat everything that we smell, right? Or we have to. Ooh, that's a nasty smell. I don't want to eat that. Like my, when my son was little, he couldn't walk by a deli on the outside because he hated the smell of uh, deli. He hated the smell of vinegar and things that go on in a deli. So the whole time he was a little kid, you know, he couldn't go to he couldn't go to Subway to eat that was out. And if there was a Subway or some store that had that smell, uh, he he would like cross the street before he'd walk in front of it. So that's a version. <laughs> so, but when in children, that's kind of normal. This is the same son who's now a chef. So. <laughs> So uh, our senses aren't always giving us, you know, we can't just let stuff come in and then do whatever whatever it, they tell us to do, which is, you know, think about, we know a lot of people and we probably have a lot of that from our, from our own experiences. There are a lot of people who basically live because if the thought comes into their head, that's what they're going to do, or they get sidetracked all the time. Uh, if a, if a good smell comes into their head, that's what they're going to have for dinner. I mean, it's, you know, driving by a McDonald's or driving by a barbecue restaurant, whatever it is. I mean, there, so a lot of people live with their senses just telling them what the next step is going to be. And so that's not the way we're paying attention to our body. When we work with it, we understand that what we're doing is learning how to work with all of this stuff that's coming in to us through our senses. And we include the, our, our mind as a sense. So, so our thoughts, how our thoughts come in, what we learn when we're sitting is how we don't have to pay attention to every thought that comes into our head. And we can learn to choose the thoughts that we want to pay attention to. We can, we can learn when it's time to let them go. Um, and the same way with all of our senses. But so we're learning to work with those things. But those are all part of our body. Those are all, you know, this is headquarters for everything. And so when we meditate, it's good to be aware and uh, that it's this breath that we breathe is really giving giving our body the, the life that it's that that it's carrying on for us. The body's only here, you know, as long as, as long as we're alive, and then we just drop it. Um, so, but but there's a reason we have it, and so that's that's what we're working with all the time. So be aware of your body when you're sitting, not just the pain, but just the life, the life in it, and how and how it's uh, how we are we're we're so integrated with everything in our body. So that's the talk for today. Thank you.